0: I might be jealous of someone else's success and I might and I might even feel bad about myself for a little bit in that process, but hopefully the healthy result of that is coming away going, okay, what of that can I try to get in my life? How can I be motivated by that? What could I look at to try to improve there? And I think that because we're trying to get away from this cultural narrative about competition with your partner's other partners we can kind of beat up on ourselves for feeling any of those feelings of jealousy or comparison and they don't necessarily have to be bad. Like it could also just be a natural thing and maybe it feels a little shitty. Maybe you are a little bit down on yourself, but as long as you're not letting that cause you to then try to sabotage their relationship or write or, or talk shit about them or try to put them down and instead try to eventually lift yourself up, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, even if you feel a little bit bad in the process. Welcome to the Multi Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily.
1: And I'm Dedeker.
0: We believe in looking
2: to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past.
1: So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you.
0: Fun. On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we are challenging ourselves and you, dear listener, to take a deeper look at some of the most common beliefs and aphorisms among the polyamorous community. When you're new to polyamory, most of us like to trot out these well-established ideas because they are really important shifts from the compulsory monogamy that our culture teaches us. However, these Concepts are not as universally true as we sometimes like to think they are. So today we're going to be exploring several of them and challenging some of the polyamory status quo and finding opportunities for more advanced students to deepen their own understanding and get some more nuance up in here.
2: So it's funny because our very, very first episode was like five myths, like debunking myths about polyamory right Mm, uh Mm -hmm. and now we're doing did we
1: knock out 10 seven was it seven it was
2: like five (laughs) it was like really quick and dirty (laughs) i don't know um and i thought we like wrote them down on like a piece of paper and oh we did oh yeah Yeah, we did (laughs) it was real rough and dirty (laughs) yeah exactly um but it's interesting that now like 302 episodes later we are doing five other like not <laughs> I m- see. Me- kind of myths. Kind now it's of more of like debunking pithies. myths
1: that we tell ourselves as as polyamorous
0: people. Mm, yeah, <laughs>
1: instead of what you know, all the normies say about polyamorous people. I guess
2: so. Yeah, right, it's fascinating
0: from the inside. Yeah, and, mm. and I think I do <laughs> myths from the inside. I love that. That's oh my a gosh. Great-
1: that's a good, That's a good what like, is TV
0: that?
2: show yeah. title.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking about Unsolved Mysteries. It's yeah. like Yeah, that. something on, yeah. The, on
0: the History Channel or something, like Mysteries from the Inside, exploring the inner <laughs> world of the, the Mayans or something. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did want to yeah, say, too, really cool. that um, some of these things we're talking about here are not only... They're not just specific to polyamorous people, so if you're not polyamorous or not part of that community... You might think, "Oh, well, I'm not really going to know these." I think a lot of these have quite a bit of crossover into kind of a lot of the advice and the community around this podcast and others like it. Of a lot of these kind of um what's the word I'm looking for? This kind of people who who tend to think of themselves as pretty critical thinking and getting away from kind of the status quo and some of the toxic sort of zero sum game ways of thinking about relationships in the mainstream that people who get outside of that can then sometimes fall into these sort of rote aphorisms and beliefs and that's what this episode is about is taking a second look at those questioning them a little bit looking for those exceptions because ultimately the lesson is that things aren't black and white it's not moving from one black and white to another one but that there is some nuance and there's some, uh, yeah, I guess just some, some subtlety to these things that often get missed. And I think can actually be harmful to us, especially when new polyamorous people come along and we just spout these things out that sometimes we can actually be doing some harm without realizing it.
1: Mm, Like, so this idea of what it's like, sometimes by stepping out of one box, you can unintentionally find yourself hemmed into a new box like yeah. out of the frying pan box into, into the, the fire, fire box. box yeah
0: maybe it's a, a slightly comfier box you know maybe it's a more like ethically <laughs> I don't, fire sourced boxes box, don't sound very... okay so
1: more like okay so you're in like a little cardboard box and then you step out into more of like a, a cushy little like pet bed
0: uh, okay and but maybe it's, it's still a nice box. and comforting
1: but it's still kind of squeezy and tight and maybe not so comfortable. And you're not a cat. You don't like that stuff. Mm. You're a human.
0: No way. See, <laughs> now I want to do like a supplemental episode that's re-examining multi emerys metaphors for things and finding where they don't
2: quite hold <laughs> oh, up. Oh, <laughs> wow. There's probably a lot. Oh, yeah. A lot that oh, there's a lot of those. All of them. <laughs> yeah, all of them. Exactly. I have,
1: I have sometimes I have clients um, who are like working through our backlog of episodes and a couple oh, people have boy. brought up the emotional car metaphor. Do y'all remember that?
0: No. Yeah, it was what? like about if like, the doors we are falling off, you got to get no. those like Something fixed. like
1: that. Like I, it, it's got to be at least 150 episodes ago, and <laughs> oh every time god. I'm just like, oh gosh, I only remember like 5% of the emotional car metaphor, <laughs> but I'm really glad it's resonating with you. There was
2: a car, <laughs> and it had something to do with our emotions. Something to do with our emotions. <laughs> That's <laughs>
0: hilarious. Oh my god. Okay,
1: let's pick our first aphorism to dive into so this is one i see pop up a lot especially in advice forums on subreddits on facebook groups you know sometimes including our own facebook group although i do think that our that our patreon facebook group on general tends to be better about some of these things um but super it's this... critical
2: thinkers you all are out there yeah, yeah yeah well done
1: but it's this kind of idea that like if you're having insecurities or jealousy or concern about a newly polyamorous situation or maybe your partner you're monogamous but your partner just came out to you as polyamorous or maybe you're just opening up your relationship for the first time and you're struggling with it it's this idea of like that's your own problem to deal with that's your own work So again, I usually see this play out when someone new comes to a discussion group, a forum, a meetup group, really wanting help. They're just like struggling and they're just miserable. They're having discomfort, insecurity, fears about their partner's behavior or their partner's choices. And the usual response is, okay, yeah, we get you, but that's your internal work to do to become com- comfortable at the end of the day. Right, to work and through your happens, jealousy or,
0: or Yeah, you got
1: to work through your jealousy. You got to work through your insecurities. You know, you can't put that on your partner. Like you got to do it. And it's hard because it's like, There's a certain amount of that 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 is true. But what happens is then those people come to me (laughs) in my coaching practice (laughs) Mm -hmm. and share all their stories. I share all those those stories of just like, yeah, I reached out for help to the community and then the community threw it back in my face and said that I was the one who's who's like the fuck up here. And now I don't know
0: what to do. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that the sort of the first trouble here, and again, getting into the nuance is that I think for. A lot of cases and a lot of situations, absolutely, that's that's true. It's oh I'm I'm feeling this discomfort and I want to limit, you know, how much my partner can see other people or something because uh, this is difficult. And yeah, I think in a lot of situations, maybe even most of them, that is something you just you got to work through or decide this is not something you want to do, but it's right it is doing that personal work. But if we're always defaulting to that answer, we're kind of burying or hiding or enabling situations where like, maybe part of the problem is that your partner is being kind of shady about the way they're going about this, or they're being a little bit shitty or they're being irresponsible or they're not being very caring. And they might even be using this idea of, well, that's your problem to work through to get off the hook for having to, yeah, to do Yeah, they may also be themselves.
1: kind of weaponizing it a little bit.
0: Right.
2: Yeah, and especially if they're brand new to polyamory or, you know, open relationships in general. And I think one has to sort of look at the entire situation also because if the person who's asking for help was, you know, kind of brought into polyamory by their partner, doesn't really know a lot about it, you know, was sort of persuaded into trying it and, and wants to you know, give it a good college try and stuff and, but it's still having these feelings and these emotions. I think there's a lot to unpack there. And, and you do have to sort of question like, hey, is this actually something that is going to work for me? Or am I really more suited for a different type of lifestyle? And it's not just like, figure it out, work on it, fix yourself. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I find whenever I'm working with clients, and this is just something I've learned after just years of listening to so many people's different situations, because I very much fell victim to this. I think, you know, of just kind of like, yeah, you just got to work through it. Like that's on you, you know. Don't you dare think about trying to ask your partner to hold off or to not go on a date this week or to put in some kind of restrictions about it. Like, don't you dare even consider that. And I realized that in relationship, it's like whenever insecurities are coming up or jealousy or discomfort or stuff like that, pretty much always it's a balance between stuff that's kind of internally triggered. So as in like your own personal insecurities about yourself or the areas just personally where your psychology is maybe not helping you. Maybe your psychology is going somewhere that's a catastrophe that's you know, distorted in some way, or maybe making some assumptions, or maybe there is just kind of some personal growth you need to make around this. But then that's always counterbalanced with stuff that's going on in the relationship and with the attachment, you know, and I do feel that like when we kind of just have this assumption of like, oh, yeah, that's all on you. It's like no one's really asking the questions of like, how is your partner treating you? Do you feel sure. like you're getting what you need? Like, how does it feel when you're in conflict? Does your partner turn towards you? Are the two of you able to repair? Do you get like reassurance? Like, what's your belief about the future of the relationship? Like, there's just like so, so, so many things going into it where it's it's not even necessarily that it's like, oh, maybe your partner's being shitty, but it's just like, there's so many, so many things that could possibly be contributing to I feel really uncomfortable and scared.
2: Yeah, and I think from a practical standpoint, if you are a person who sees a newbie coming to, you know, a polyamory meetup or something and is asking a question like this, I think it would behoove you to take the time to, like, ask those questions that you just laid out, Dedeker. You know, what? what is the backstory of the situation and how do you feel you're being treated in this scenario? What are your hopes for you know, what the relationship will ultimately look like, what you're going to get out of, you know, your relationships with other people and with this person, stuff like this. Because it it also, I think, like, in teaching or in in giving advice, like, it enables you and allows you to, like, also learn some stuff on your own. So that kind of give and take is beneficial potentially to both parties. So I don't know. I have, I agree with you that I've seen this in certain groups. And it's like, well, I know what I'm doing. And so I'm just going to tell a person like they need to figure it out and they need to get with the program here um, instead of really taking the time to like dive into the nuance.
0: It's that thing that I think comes up with all sorts of of debates between people, too, whether it's about politics or gender or relationship dynamics or any number of things is that we fall victim to this assumption that everyone else's experience of life is like our own. Yes. Mm. And I think that that can come up extra with issues like this because I think a lot of polyamorous people have some baggage in our past about a partner trying to make us feel shitty for what we're doing because they just think it's weird or they think it's immoral or that we've gotten that kind of accusation or shaming
1: or, or or a partner who is shitty and like controlling, you know, I think a lot of people carry that, that a lot of, you know, non-monogamous people carry that a little bit of that shared experience of having been there.
0: Right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Of having a very controlling partner who's made your other relationships miserable and has hurt your other partners. And I think a lot of us have some variation on that. And if we, just project those experiences onto this new person who's coming looking for support or for help, we can go, yeah, that's your own thing to deal with. Don't tell them that they need to change anything about what they're doing because we're thinking that sucked so much when it was done to me. Mm. But it does, unfortunately, I think, lead us to be just kind of blind to the nuance or that we can jump to that response too quickly. So I'm not saying it's, Mm. it's never the right thing. (laughs) Not saying that at all, but just, When we jump to it too quickly, when it becomes an aphorism, when it becomes this just, oh, someone asked and we all spout out this same line or this kind of variation on that same line, that's when we need to start questioning and going, ooh, wait a minute. What are we doing here? Are we just assuming something and not really looking into the details?
1: I think I've also realized from, I mean, like I said, it's like I I end up having clients who've had this experience you know, when kind of going to the broader public has been met with kind of this, this weird dismissiveness, that often, you know, just like empathizing goes a long way. Yeah. You know, mm. so I think if you're out there, if you're in a community like this, and you are the one with a lot of experience, maybe several years of experience, that that's kind of where the strength is, rather than jumping 10 steps down the road to this is going to be some personal work you know i feel like we got to rewind 10 steps and it's like the first step just has to be like oh my god yes that sucks it's totally understandable that you would feel this way and yeah, that you empathy. would want to ask for these things you know it goes a long way yeah. yeah and it's not that like nobody's out there offering that but i do feel that um whenever you're in a group mixed with newbies and more experienced people i think the experienced people just have a tendency to jump 20 steps down the road and sometimes it can be helpful to be like, I'm here kind of in the future of this journey. Future, yeah. <laughs> and I can I can talk and tell you some insight that I've gotten, but that that's not always going to be universally applicable or helpful to someone who's just starting out.
0: Something I find myself trying to do in situations where I'm aware of this and where my intention is to be helpful and not just to show off how good I've got it now uh, <laughs> is...
1: I have a podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> My relationship. <laughs> I have a podcast. I know stuff.
0: Rule, yeah. Uh, no, is um, to especially if I've had enough experience or have talked with enough other people who've had other experiences. So I'm not just saying, "Oh, I had this one experience like that." This is what it was for me. So this is what it must be for you. Is instead to provide a couple sort of opposing examples. For example, you know, in a case where someone's coming and saying, I don't know, I just feel really uncomfortable about the way my partner is, is dating other people, that I might give an example of, well, in one of my relationships that happened, especially early on, and eventually once we just kind of got more used to it and did some personal work and it took some time, that same thing was no problem at all. It was actually very easy and is now supernatural super supernatural not not supernatural you
2: mean like the tv show no
0: no
1: no like now you're dating like winged horses and such
0: right right cool uh but just that that's natural to us it's normal for us now even though it was hard at first and then i'll give a contrary example that's yeah so this person i know or maybe in my own relationship had something like that too And in that case, it did turn out that it was because they were never telling any of their new partners about me, and that Mm. I was kind of picking up on some shadiness that was going on there, and I didn't know it at first. So it was also good to acknowledge that and and be aware of it and try to look into it, not just take for granted that it'll get better. So I kind of try to give them some opposing ones to hopefully add some empathy of just yeah that that sucks and i've been there and i know lots of other people have too you're not alone but by offering a couple different scenarios to say i don't know which one yours is i don't know all the details of your life but maybe one of these will really resonate with you and you'll go ooh yeah that's that's the thing What do you you think? Is that a good technique? I've just started doing it and I don't know if it (laughs) works Giving like two different
2: scenarios or two different sort of answers
0: to a question. Yeah. Yeah, kind of giving two other examples of real life scenarios like that that are opposite of each other. Sounds like
1: a very... um, Jace thing to do? (laughs) Oh, I was going to say a very kind of like mythical sage thing to do where I'm not going (laughs) to give you a clear answer. I'm going to give you multiple answers and then you got to go on your epic journey to figure it out.
0: You figured me out.
1: Uh, Dang it. he's a mythic sage I'm He has been gonna, this whole that, time take that makes my a lot of
0: sense. opium and go back over
1: here <laughs> oh gosh wow, okay, <laughs> so, oh that's that. where you get your sage powers from all, huh? right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right are we ready to move on to the next one yes yeah let's do it okay this next one is that comparisons competition and jealousy are bad so this one tale as old as time When coming from mainstream culture, which teaches us this very uh, competitive, there's a limited pool of good people to date, you gotta get them, you gotta be better than everyone else to get them, you gotta hold on to them and don't let them be with anyone else because they're gonna slip away and then you've lost your chance, like all that internalized shit that we've been given by our culture... Yeah. Moving away from that is really important. And I think that's why we fight so hard to get away from comparison and competition and jealousy. But once we've done that, like once we've worked our way out of some of those cultural habits, I actually think that that comparison, competition, and jealousy don't always have to be a bad thing. And I think that there's something... Natural to that, and maybe those things themselves aren't the problem, but what we do with them, how we how we approach them, what brings them up, could be the issue. So, Mm. to start out, I'll just give an example to to start. I want to see what the two of you think as well. So, this is a case of comparing yourself to a metamor, right? Which maybe you know them well, or maybe you mostly just hear things through your partner that the bad version of that is having low self-esteem and really beating yourself up over it and being like, I'm terrible. They must really like this other person better than me. And that's not a great place to be. And that's why we try to steer people away from comparing yourself to your partner's other partners and just let them be separate from you. But I I would argue that there are situations in my life where learning something about the way a metamor handles certain things or certain things that they do that I could look at that and go yeah, that, that does seem maybe better than the way that I approach that issue. Maybe I should try that. Maybe I should explore being more like them in that way. And in that mm-hmm. way, I think that if I were just like, no, I can never compare myself to them, I would miss out on that opportunity for self-improvement or growth. That's just, just one example that came to mind in starting this one.
1: It, that seems like the kind of situation where I do feel like you have to be coming to that comparison very intentionally and feeling relatively solid and secure in yourself and in your relationship, you know? Because I I could see it, I don't know, that feels like a much bigger topic that goes beyond just non-monogamy and goes into just like, how do we deal with comparison and how can we make comparison a good thing for Mm -hmm. ourselves, potentially in life, you know? I I think about it more with professional jealousy these days, actually, where I have more of a tendency to compare myself to like friends of mine who I feel like are succeeding in a way that I wish that I was, you know, and sometimes and sometimes comparing myself in a bad way in a in a downer, real bummer kind of way, where that has a lot of shame and self doubt. But other times, it's more of a like, Oh, wow, I really admire them that they are going after this in this way and that they're really vulnerable when they talk about these things or that they do this, like maybe that's something that I could try or sometimes I can land in a place of, yeah, that's their style and my style's different and that's okay. You know, we're in a very wide marketplace of, of the internet <laughs> and interaction and there's room for all these things. I guess that's where it comes up for me.
0: Well, I think that's such a good example. The professional jealousy thing or the professional comparison thing, is that I feel like most people understand that that just happens sometimes, right? That I might be jealous of someone else's success, and I might might even feel bad about myself for a little bit in that process. But hopefully, the healthy result of that is coming away going, okay, what of that can I try to get in my life? How can I be motivated by that? What could I look at to try to improve there? And I think that Because we're trying to get away from this cultural narrative about competition with your partner's other partners, we can kind of beat up on ourselves for feeling any of those feelings of jealousy or comparison, and they don't necessarily have to be bad. Like It could also just be a natural thing, and maybe it feels a little shitty, maybe you are a little bit down on yourself, but as long as you're not letting that cause you to then try to sabotage their relationship or... Right or or talk shit about them or try to put them down and instead try to eventually lift yourself up. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, even if you feel a little bit bad in the process. I guess that's kind of what I'm, what I'm getting at. And I think that professional jealousy is a really good example of a way I think a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, that that's a healthy way to deal with jealousy. And that, and that makes sense.
2: So, yeah, I want to continue to talk about jealousy a bit because I think when used correctly and I don't know. Is there a correct or a non-correct way to use jealousy? <laughs> Just when when you use it more as an internal kind of locus for figuring out whether or not you need something from your partner or you need something from yourself or you're desiring more time, you're desiring, you know, date nights uh, because your partner is super excited about, you know, a, a new person and has a bunch of new relationship energy, and you're jealous of that, but you realize, like, hey, I, I actually just want some, like, very concrete, specific time for the two of us to go out and for the two of us to do something fun together. I think it can be a nice indicator of, like, your own wants and needs. So to just say we're banishing jealousy, we're <laughs> done with it forever, uh-huh. <laughs> that, that's, you know, not a good thing at all. I think that that's just taking it a bit too far. Like jealousy can be used for good as well, especially internal good.
1: And it is kind of, um, it holds kind of both these qualities of both. It can be kind of like this X-ray or this indicator, like Emily said, of pointing you towards what might I need? What could be adjusted here? What could I do differently here? But then at the same time, it's also not always pathological. It's not always a sign that something is wrong. Sometimes it's just very normal and sure. very okay to feel you well, know? you two
2: have talked about how you know it, neutrality is something that is okay with you and that you kind of like strive to feel when you have new partners coming into your partner's lives and that you're not always like yeah go i'm yeah. so <laughs> excited for you but rather just like yeah okay i'm i'm glad like have a good time you know mm-hmm. and have kind of a neutral attitude about it that that's okay that sometimes we do jump to those extremes, like it's compersion or nothing. Mm, And that's not necessarily helpful or realistic. Um, And on the other end, like jealousy doesn't always have to be like, you're a bad polyamorous person if you, if you feel this, but rather, I don't know, maybe it's an indicator of something to look more deeply into.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was going to jump on something that you were saying too. Uh, about uh, you know looking at that and going, oh well, we want I want more me time together with you as well, like as a positive way of expressing that jealousy, just the the other one that occurred to me too, and this comes up for me a lot with friends as well, if I'm looking at a partner or at friends of mine and feeling jealousy about their relationships or their dating life or something like that, is to question. Okay, what what is it that I actually want? Because a lot of times I don't really want to be whatever it is dating as much as they are. I don't really want to be uh I, I don't know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like I, maybe I don't want to be having as much sex as they are, even if what's making me feel jealous is the sex. But perhaps I'm actually jealous of having some excitement about something. And so I've definitely found for me a lot of times it's this opportunity to explore what why am i feeling this way where am i maybe stuck in a rut somewhere else or maybe it is that i really want what they have okay great so now that i know that i've got tools how do i get more of that in my life how do i how do didn't i get myself we do myself a whole episode place? on that
2: like it, you you don't want what you think you want yeah right. oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: yeah
0: that yeah. was a while ago huh that was a long time ago but i think the part we maybe didn't talk about in that is that the jealousy could be this really useful tool to let you know that there's something that you maybe don't have in your life that you wish you did, or that you don't have as much of, or you have too much of, or something. That the jealousy could be a good indicator of, oh, huh, I'm feeling this. That's a good indication that maybe something's off for me and that I want to start taking some steps to change that. I don't know. That was just, just my, my thought there with jealousy.
1: I also want to do a brief interlude on comparisons between your partners. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! You I was do. just
2: going to ask about this, or oh, like say yeah. something about that. So yeah, do that, and then I'll continue on too.
1: Oh yeah, well, just yeah. I think that generally most of the the wisdom out the gate is you know don't compare your partners to each other, either to them because that's shitty, or to yourself really because they're two different people and it's two different relationships, and it's not super helpful to be like, well, this person is just way better at sex in this particular way. Um, And I'm going to be kind of crappy about that to my existing partner or whatever. Um, You know, that's just kind of like, don't weaponize comparison and stuff like that. However, sometimes comparison between your partners can be helpful. It can be a good way to determine if you're being treated the way that you want to be treated. It's not always a perfect litmus test, but sometimes you can get into a relationship and realize like, oh, wait, this person is just like way more respectful or way more kind, especially if you've kind of stuck with it and you're beyond the NRE phase where everything just seems perfect. And when it's like, Oh no, really, this person truly does treat me in this kind of much more respectful way than my other partner over here. And of course, I mean, I still wouldn't recommend going and weaponizing that and then like going and telling your other partner that that's what's going on. But again, it helps to, it can help to highlight for you of like, Ooh, I feel like I've identified that, actually being treated kindly in this particular way is really important to me. And so can I make a request about that? Can I talk to my partner about that? Is that something that I can fix in this other relationship?
2: Yeah, I, uh, when talking about comparisons, I just recalled a partner that both of us had that is not just that I compared. I definitely heard comparisons of his other partners to my face, and it was really not cool. Oh, so Mm. bad. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm assuming... And I know that he did it with them, too, because, like, yeah, she... uh, uh, Not you, but the other partner would, like, say something about me when I was there, because he had told her that, and it was really fucked up.
0: Wild. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, don't do that, is what I'm saying. I got some stuff
1: to gossip about later.
2: yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's just unkind. Um... And so that kind of comparison, we're definitely saying no to. Okay, yes, yes, yes. But internal comparison is something else.
1: Yes, and, and then I'm just going to put the button on this and then we can move on. That Yes, and, even if you are verbally comparing your partner to another partner and the partner you're talking to is like on the beneficial end of that. So, mm. as in even saying to your partner, "Wow, you do this way better than so and so, my other partner, or you do this way better than so and so what they do is this terrible thing, even then it's not great, yeah, that's
0: not a good, not a good and move. yeah,
1: it that brought back a lot of memories for me, also Emily, of that <laughs> particular partner of even <clears throat> when he would like talk about comparisons between his partners where where it was like complimentary to me it would still just be like yeah it's not cool
2: (laughs) not at all great (laughs) and then you realize like it's happening in with the other partners too and it's just it's like pitting each other right pitting everyone against each other which is not okay yeah don't do that
0: that and uh can then make you be less likely to feel compassion for your metamorph because you're like, well, all I've been told is all the ways they're worse than me. So yes, why are they exactly. with them? Yeah. It's exactly. just it's bad all around. It doesn't bad actually make anyone feel good.
2: Yeah. 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 That's something to watch out for and not, not participate in. All right. We are going to move on to more on these topics and our polyamory 201 course for you all. But before that, we are going to discuss some ways in which you can help keep this show running for free so that we can give
1: Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.
0: For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also
1: That's Multi, M-U-L-T-I, at AdamandEve.com, AdamMail.com, or Eve'sToys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. So this next one
2: is one of my favorites. It's like definitely one that I thought when I was a young Polyamorous person... And, yeah, and you hear it when you read certain books. And it's that humans evolved to be polyamorous. It's totally natural. It's totally the thing to be. And all of us really are deep down. Um, so Sex of Dawn, that good old book. I would love to have the the people that wrote that book on this show sometime. Oh, they've I been on our yeah. list
1: from literally day one. But yeah, exactly. Turns Cla- out they're hard, they're hard to get a hold of. Anyone?
2: Anyone? <laughs> help us out here. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, that stuff, all that's in there, that's in Sexadon, it's good to know if someone's ever trying to, like, make an argument that only monogamy is natural, but we might potentially be doing more harm than good by trying to make this opposite argument that the only thing that is natural out there is polyamory. Because it really, we as humans are far more nuanced than that, and we have decision-making powers, and sometimes we're happier in a monogamous setting than a polyamorous one, and that's okay.
1: Yeah. So it's so funny to think about how perspectives on these things shift from the beginning of the journey to when you've been on the journey for several years. Because I remember back in the day that, yeah, there was a lot of people making this argument of just like, well, why would you be non-monogamous? Clearly humans are monogamous. They want monogamy. Like, Look how it's all just couples, monogamous couples. That's the way to do it. That's natural. I had a guy once, who kind of made the argument to me where he was like, yeah, but, like, monogamy just makes more sense, because, and it has to be enforced, because otherwise that, like, guys would, like, kill each other over women, and <laughs> we can't have that, and so that's why monogamy makes sense. If everyone gets paired up, then it's okay. And anyway, Because
2: men are just, like, killing machines all I over the I don't know. Place. I
1: ended up dating him for a year, though, so that was a lesson oh, I learned okay. later on. Yeah, okay. Well, but I'm just saying that when Sex at Dawn came out, it really was this very valid validating very confirming very refreshing text because it was making this argument of like no we actually have a lot of evidence to suggest that humans are not naturally monogamous and um do with that what you will i did at least appreciate that they never tried to make any kind of argument of like therefore that means we all should be non-monogamous mm-hmm. that it was very much the sense of just kind of like here's what we see and, and here's what you can think about that um but then now fast forward to now where I'm kind of like, yeah, that's cool. Like, maybe that's true. That's super cool. But I have seen this argument now tossed around now making people feel bad when they struggle (laughs) with non-monogamy or if they don't want non-monogamy, that then is this weird thing of like, well, it's natural. It's what we're built for. Like, we evolved this way. And so why are you fighting that? And that's not not any good.
0: Yeah. And I think that that kind of gets at the heart of all of this. And that's that I think knowing these things are good if you're trying to combat culture telling you that what you want is unnatural and therefore bad. But I think the key thing here to remember is that just because something's natural doesn't mean that it's good. And just because something is not natural doesn't mean that it's bad. So an example that we've given in the past on the show is violence, that there's a lot of studies uh you know with primates and things like that showing that physical violence is natural and that in humans we are naturally violent like we'll naturally hit each other or things like that maybe not or at least feel
1: the urge to hit each other
0: right (laughs) or act
1: out in some kind of physical way
0: Right, right. And there have even been studies showing that like acting out in violence when you're upset can be beneficial in terms of lowering your blood pressure and things like that. Like There's evidence to show that those things are natural, but I think all of us here at least would agree that that's not good. That doesn't mean that it's good. And another big one is racism. That there's a pretty compelling evo-psych argument that during this point long, long ago in history when humans almost became extinct, when homo sapiens almost didn't make it, that evolving traits of being extremely loyal to our tribes and extremely distrustful of outsiders may have been the trait that allowed us to survive.
2: Sounds but, like nationalism. Yeah,
1: kind well, of like it's, nationalism. Yeah, it's tribalism. Like tribalism, it's tribalism. Yeah.
0: But yeah, all, all those things, and so it's like, yeah, you could make an argument that that's natural, but that doesn't make it good. Maybe at some point tens of thousands of years ago it was necessary for our species to survive but it's not now and it's a bad thing that unfortunately we're still stuck with you know that we have to fight against so i I just want to make that argument that that just because something's natural doesn't mean it's good at all
2: i want to also tack on to this one that a lot of people out there think that like polyamorous people are more enlightened Mm. than their monogamous counterparts
0: because we're more natural
2: Sure. Because we're more natural or because, I don't know, because, you know, a polyamorous person is more enlightened in terms of relationships and doesn't need to, like, tamp their partner down or control them or something. And and while all of those things are well and good, like, it doesn't mean that the person is inherently more enlightened or has relationships more figured out because there's a ton of people out there (laughs) who are doing polyamory poorly, regardless of, you know, whether or not they're practicing monogamy or polyamory. So yeah, I I think that kind of like goes along with this and everything is specific to the person and natural, I don't know, it's just... And that's not a, like a great argument. Cause yeah, they, it's like those people out there who say, okay, well, it's more natural to eat meat or it's more natural to be vegan. It's like, well, actually, maybe you just need to do the thing that is best for your body and your mind and your health and your values.
0: Yeah, that's a great, that's a great example. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think another part of that is just because there's like a newer phenomenon or a newer way of being in our evolutionary history doesn't automatically mean it's bad. And so, yeah, it's like yeah. Yeah. everyone points out that monogamy is a relatively new thing. It's only a couple hundred years old, really. Um, Or maybe, sorry, I'm getting that wrong. Maybe more than a couple hundred years old, but it's not millennia old. Let's just put it that way. In the tens of thousands
0: of years, yeah, that it's somewhat newer. (laughs) It's
1: relatively new. And yeah, people make that argument of like it's just new thing, it's just a construct, throw it in the garbage and stuff like that. When it's like, well, that doesn't mean that it's bad. I mean, air conditioning is also relatively new,
0: <laughs> and I think it's in great. our human history, yeah. and
1: that's great. <laughs> same with same with freaking like antibiotics and. Uh, life-saving surgery and all kinds of things. It's not inherently bad just because it's new.
0: Right. I mean, antibiotics are newer than monogamy. So really we should toss those out too. What a
1: weird timeline that we're (laughs) constructing here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) First came monogamy, <laughs> then came antibiotics.
0: You do the math. Talk Man, about correlation, like, yeah.
2: correlation and causation. Uh,
0: wow, but, <laughs> yeah,
2: it's like those graphs that you see that are like Nicholas Cage movies and like amount of you know car crashes or whatever <laughs> you're, you're like right. both go up. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. All Oof. right, shall we move on to the next yes, one? Yes, yes,
1: let's. Okay. Oh yeah, this one. This one's a doozy. This one I've, I've really had to do some growth and, and some shifts in perspective on. But it's this idea that the only healthy way to do polyamory is fiercely egalitarian, non-hierarchical polyamory. Okay, there's a lot. There's a lot to process. Isn't that in... like what
2: our whole show has been based on? No, yeah, I think that's
1: where our show really started. That's um, where it
2: started, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's
1: not that... We don't say that anymore necessarily, but it's just more nuance, uh, you know, and more complexity here, you know, again, kind of in the early days of whatever wave of non-monogamy we're in right now, you know, it was really common for it to be extremely hierarchical. And I'm talking uh, the last few, what, maybe decades since like, since the swingers movement took off in the early days of polyamory. So I'm at least the modern day polyamory movement. So probably since like, you know, the early 90s or so, it was common for the the baseline assumption to be like, yeah, the way that polyamory works is it's extremely hierarchical. You know, you have to have a primary, you have to have a secondary. Veto power is totally understandable. Um, secondaries don't necessarily have to be treated with respect because they're just lucky to be there. And of course, you know, I think that in response to that, in response to especially a lot of people getting hurt by that and as polyamory as a movement started to become more and more distinct from, I think like the swinger model or the traditional swinger model or the traditional swingers movement, there are a lot more people speaking out about that, of course, you know? And so now it's kind of accepted parlance that like veto rules, not so great, super harsh controlling restrictive rules, not so great, prescriptive hierarchy, really not so great. Um, But it has led to this point, this moment where we're at now where it seems like, Everyone or a lot of people are very clearly like, yeah, anti-hierarchy, non-hierarchical, don't practice hierarchy, which is definitely a contrast. Maybe someone argue an improvement over the past, but it also comes with its own host of problems.
0: Yeah. yeah. So first off here is just to go with the hierarchy thing, you kind of hit on that more and then maybe we'll talk about the egalitarian part of it second, but like with the hierarchy part... One of the first problems that comes up is sneakyarchy, is that if you tell someone hierarchy is always bad, you can't do it, and they go, okay, well, we're just opening up our 10-year marriage, and so and we can't be hierarchical, so we're going to tell everyone that we're not, and we're not going to have veto, and we're going to perform all the right things. But because we haven't done the rest of the work involved in not being hierarchical, we're going to advertise ourselves that way and defend that we are that way, but actually do have a lot of hierarchy in the way that we behave and a lot of sort of line item vetoes that happen of kind of vetoing a relationship by just making it so miserable to be in it. or having other little excuses and things so that we can actually end up kind of treating someone shittier than if they knew right up front, that's what they were going to get. And I don't think either is necessarily mm-hmm. the right answer, but it, it's not necessarily fixing the problem.
1: Yeah. Actually one of, uh, one of our listeners uh, was tweeting about this recently that because of the moment that we've kind of ended up now we're, with this kind of underlying ethic of like everything has to be really strictly non-hierarchical that we do end up in those situations where You know, people are really trying to prove that they're non-hierarchical, even though maybe it would be better if they could just be like, yeah, we have a hierarchy. It's unavoidable because of X, Y, and Z reason. I'm letting you know this is what the situation is. This is how it may possibly affect you. Are you cool with that? Can you consent to participating in a relationship with me if you know that that's what the situation is? And, And the thing is that it's like, you can still find partners who are definitely totally okay with that, you know, depending on kind of what's going on in your relationship. It doesn't mean that that's going to preclude you from ever being with anybody. But I do think it's kind of like this assumption that it's like, if there's any hierarchy at all, that's been decided it's, it's going to be bad and it's going to be toxic.
2: Yeah. And I think like if people have kids and the three of us do not, there potentially might be some nuance there in terms of hierarchy, in terms of who comes first, which generally is going to be the kid or mm-hmm. kids, not necessarily like the non-hierarchical polyamory that you're practicing. And also, I mean, it, some people out there, and we've come across them, have have literally said to us, I will only date a person who has a primary partner. Like, that's what I prefer, Mm-hmm. Because I want, I don't want to be somebody's primary. I want to be somebody's secondary or tertiary or comet partner. Mm-hmm. So that's something to think about as well. Like, you know, what are you just going to tell that person? Like, no, you're doing it wrong. Like, not <laughs> cool. I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot of different um, people out there who want different types of things. Some people enjoy being unicorns, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And I, I do want to make a real quick Sort of a, a caveat to our caveat here is, and that's just that the other bad side of this that I see, though, is the, well, but I'm just very upfront with everyone that that they're secondary and so it's okay. And while that might be true, it doesn't justify treating them badly because of it or not giving them agency in that relationship, Not not... Expecting them to have autonomy. So like there's definitely I think the point with all of these is it's not that one or the other is just correct, but that there is nuance here and that you can kind of take either side of it and be shitty with it. And yeah. hopefully instead you can find the nuance. Which which leads us to the egalitarian side of that too. So aside from non-hierarchical, I think what tends to go hand in hand with that is this idea that all your partners are equal and this one I actually think is I was just having a conversation with someone about this recently that they were really struggling with it saying okay everyone tells me that this is the way I should be doing polyamory is non-hierarchical and and equal but that just seems so hard to do, to, to spend equal time with all of my partners and to have like equally deep relationships with everyone. And it did kind of give me pause. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, because no one does that. That's not realistic. That's not, that's not yeah, actually, you... I don't think that's desirable. I don't think it's realistic. It's Your not the way partners... we treat our friends
2: yeah, your relationships evolve over time with, you know, differently with different people. So yeah, I I don't know that idea of like true equality. I get it. But it's just potentially not realistic, like you said.
1: Well, but I mean, it starts getting into this conversation about equality versus equity, right? Right. You know, where it's like, I know, I can't treat absolutely everybody in my life totally equal, I can set it up so that like, all my partners feel like they have equity in the relationship, Mm -hmm. like equal opportunity, and no one's kind of You know, no. again, you know, the classic thing of, like, no relationship is, like, dictating what goes on in another relationship. We're not setting up kind of weird power imbalances. Yeah. But also understanding that trying to force it into an egalitarian, just, like, weird vacuum may not work out either.
0: Yeah, and I think it can lead to people being... Stressed feeling like they're failing if they're not feeling equally close with all their partners and spending equal amounts of time with all of them, or feeling slighted when their partners are not spending equal amounts of time and energy and whatever on them as they are on someone else. And I just, I do want to really reemphasize, if you think about any other types of relationships in your life, we don't treat them all equally. Like that's just not realistic. Even, even so not just friends where it's like, yeah, I'm going to hang out with some of my friends a lot more than others. It doesn't mean I don't like the other friends. It doesn't mean these friends get to dictate the terms of my other friendships, but I'm going to spend more time with some than the others. Cause I'm whatever. I'm closer with them. Or we are working on a project together or we work together, or, right? There's any number of reasons why it's not going to be equal And I think even if we look at family members, even children, something like that, where I'm not going to say, I'm going to spend all my time on this one child and not the other, (laughs) but you might, for some reasons, maybe one child has more demanding special needs or something. And so I'm going to put more energy into that child than the other. It doesn't mean that they get to dictate the terms of whether I care for that other child, right? It's like we've tried to get away from this sort of controlling prescriptive hierarchy that allows people to affect relationships that they're not part of that we've gone so far the other way that that we're feeling guilty over having just normal human preferences and developing relationships each at their own pace and in their own way.
2: Yeah. Alrighty.
0: Dedeka's just sitting there silently nodding. It's not good radio, yes. but what are you thinking? <laughs> um
1: yeah, I just I think I I often come back around to just what from what I've seen, you know, people can have a hierarchy and be really honest about it and really compassionate to their partners and really care and have really good relationships. And then people can have non hierarchy and be really shitty in their mm-hmm. relationships and to their partners. And so, I especially the more I work with clients, the more I come around to like, I just get closer and closer to feeling like I don't give any fucks anymore of like what your relationship format is, just do it in a way where you're kind. To mm. all the people that you're interacting with, and you can leave people better than you found them and not cause any mm. unnecessary harm. Essentially, I'm just like, just whatever you're gonna do, just do it good. <laughs> I feel like
2: that's different <laughs> than, like, perhaps where we started. At, yes. at episode one, and yes. now we're in 302. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Evolving. Which is cool. We have evolved, we're not the most evolved people. <laughs> So we have evolved.
0: But we're definitely <laughs> more natural.
2: I don't know about that either. <laughs> Why don't we do this final one on our list, which is that you have to be an open book and communicate absolutely everything if you are polyamorous. So, okay, people like to date around sometimes when they're, you know, call themselves like monogamous people. And right. that's... Yeah, like a a thing that tends to not have a lot of communication happen with it often. And so polyamory might seem like a really super open and sharing and like very brutally honest thing. Because hopefully everybody is aware of everybody else. But it can be kind of uncomfortable and important to break out of like your past impulses of keeping relationships secret or trying to be sneaky about them. I. Uh, but then, you know, when you have comfort in that department, there can be a lot of benefit to sharing, but also maybe not sharing everything with your partners, like keeping some things sacred, some things sort of held close. And I did, I have had partners in the past who like wanted to tell me all of their sexual excursions and all of their, you know, I did X, Y, and Z with my partners and this is what they think of you. And this is what they think of Mm. whatever. And at times it's like, I don't really want to hear all of that. So there's a difference between like total communication and perhaps like, Hey, let's, let's juggle that a little bit. Let's like have a little bit of nuance to it.
0: Yeah. This one I think is, is so interesting because yeah, I feel like when you're going away from this place where, even if we're not talking about dating around, but just you're you're in a monogamous relationship where it's like, I'm going to keep any desire or attraction I might have for anyone else. I got to mm-hmm. lock that up. I got to keep that secret because even if I'm not going to act on it, that's just going to be hurtful. That's shitty. And and I think that that impulse can make it very hard to be honest when you're opening up a relationship and you're becoming polyamorous. but. Yeah, I think that sometimes the way I feel like I've seen this come up and be harmful most often is not even just from the point of view of, oh, I, I, want, I feel like I need to share everything with all of my partners about what I'm doing with every other partner and all the details of that that they might not want to hear. But even on the other side of feeling like, well, even if, I, even if this is upsetting to me, I feel like I need to ask about all these details of what they're doing with everyone else, about mm. details about their sex life, details about all these things that I'm, that upset me to find out about, but I feel like I have to ask about them because that's the right thing to do. That's how I'm supposed mm. to be doing this.
1: Mm. Yeah. It, it reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend of mine recently about over disclosure, mm. which again, if you're at the beginning of this kind of, journey, I like, I don't want to tell anybody to under disclose or anything like that. I feel like it's good to practice those skills of kind of being open and honest and vulnerable and and speaking your mind and stuff like that. But sometimes we can get into a place of like over disclosure, that's not helping you not helping the person listening. And maybe the only function of it is just to like, make you feel a tiny bit better but maybe could be making the other person feel worse so i'm thinking things like over disclosing i mean like we've talked about like over disclosing sexual details which could also potentially be like you know going up against somebody else's privacy as well or over disclosing um you know all the weird scattered thoughts that i have about like you dating someone that's that's maybe like Just me just kind of like dumping on you absolutely everything and not really being clear of like what I actually need from you or how I need you to listen or what would be helpful or stuff like that or over disclosing. Um, I don't know. This feels tricky because, again, it's just so context dependent and topic dependent. But I think it is the kind of thing of like we need to find that balance essentially between like what's what's the kind of necessary things to say and what's not.
2: I think sometimes over-disclosure can be at the expense of your partner's privacy, and that is not cool, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, even if your partner hasn't explicitly said, like, hey, I don't want you to talk to others about this, it still is something that I think you personally should navigate with, like, would I want, you know, somebody knowing this or a potential stranger or a metamorph, or, like, something knowing this? Maybe not, and maybe it's not okay for me to, you know, tell, tell my partners, my other partners about this.
0: I'd even say take that one step further, and to go back to something we've talked about before, is maybe you would be okay with that. That also doesn't mean someone else is. Yeah. So to even keep that in mind, too, that just, just because, because, because you're fine with it, just because it's natural, <laughs> right, that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that they would be comfortable with that. I think also something worth bringing up here is that there have been a lot of writings over the decades and things talking about the benefit in a relationship, and generally these are talking about monogamous relationships, but the benefits in a relationship of having parts of your life that are separate from each other, whether that's separate hobbies or separate passions or separate friend groups or separate things that you do, that... Not only are there a lot of benefits to those just for yourself kind of having your own identity, but also that it can actually lead to increased attraction and excitement for each mm-hmm. other when you're able to see that my partner exists separate from me. And this you know, the, the research and psychologists who talk about this are generally not talking about it in the context of non-monogamy, but I wonder if there might be something to that also of. I think once you're to a place where you and your partner have, you and your partners, all of them, have good enough communication that you can rely on each other to be honest and to not hide things that might be important for you to know. But like once you're there and you feel good, could maybe move toward, okay, now maybe we don't need to talk about every little thing. Or like if we do a radar every month, we could check in on sort of the major updates there. But after every time Dedeker has a video call date with Alex, I don't need to know what they talked about. I don't need De- to know what they did.
2: Really intensely.
0: Right. I, I don't need to decompress with her about it. Right. I don't need to know what games they played. You know, like, I, I don't need to know that because it's just it's not relevant to me. And I, I think that there's something actually kind of nice about it, because then it also gives you the opportunity to talk to each other about other things. Like, oh, imagine yeah. that. We're not going to have to spend all of our time talking about our other relationships. We could talk about other things. We could talk about movies we like or whatever, right?
2: Yeah, that's kind of a funny, like, polyamory thing that people right. always joke about. Oh, all we ever talk about are, like is our relationship or other relationships or just, like, relationships yeah. in general, and that's all, what our whole life is. But imagine if you kind of got over the need to do that to a degree. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, a wonderful thing about being communicative and open and vulnerable, but it, yeah, just doing communication for communication's sake isn't necessarily like the best thing. And yeah, <laughs> take up your time with other other things that you two can specifically enjoy without having to like build anxiety over your other partners.
1: In case anyone was wondering, I am currently playing Disco Elysium with my partner Alex, and it's—I highly recommend it. Cool. What is now, that? All, all the mystery that is. and intrigue oh, is ruined. Right now there's oh, no. no separation. Oh, it's all gone. Tenager. That was the
0: one secret that I still <laughs> needed you to have. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Tennaker! No, I actually really want to play that game because she's been telling me a lot about it. Yeah, it's good. Good. Anyway, all right. This has been great. I hope that for our advanced students, as well as some of our newbies out there, that this was a helpful way to explore some of these topics a little bit deeper and get you to just question things, start looking at things and not just taking for granted that these aphorisms are, are always true in every situation. For our bonus episode for patrons, we're going to continue on with one more of these, talking about dating, essentially dating people who are already polyamorous versus dating newbies. We're going to talk about some of the kind of beliefs and aphorisms around that. And this week, we would love to hear from you on our Instagram. Do you consider yourself to be an experienced polyamorous person or a newbie? I think this one's an interesting one because where do you draw the line? Where do you think you've crossed from one to the other? I'm really excited to hear your responses. Also, if you want to discuss this episode, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash Multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts.